The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now, listeners will know that after a miserable couple of years, the lithium sector is on fire. Surplus capacity has washed through the system and the alarm bells are ringing on where new supply needed to meet a forecast 18-fold increase in demand by 2030 is going to come from. A lot of that has to do with the world turning green in a post-COVID environment. So while China continues to dominate the production of lithium battery cathodes, the US and Europe have set out through subsidies and legislation to build their own battery capability from the supply chain through to the finished battery in an electric vehicle. This is all great news for our ASX lithium stocks, which have responded to lithium prices taking off in a big way. Lakes Resources is one of those. It trades under the code LKE or Lima Kilo Echo. It last traded at 33.5 cents for a market cap of 345 million. It was a seven cent stock at the start of the year. So what's that? A gain of, uh, what, 380% if you don't mind. Now, there are a lot of developing legs to the lake story as it sets about developing its Karchi lithium project in South America's lithium triangle. And it's a project with a difference. That difference taps into the green future I've just been talking about because there's a disruptive processing route that lakes has as its disposal. We're on that in a moment. We have Lakes Managing Director Stephen Prominence with us today to bring us up to speed on the Lakes story. Hi Stephen, thanks for your time today. Uh, it's great to be uh, speaking to you again Barry, thanks right. so much. Okay, so perhaps a, a scene setter for listeners who might not be on top of just what has happened in the lithium market this year and what are some of the driving forces and because pricing is opaque, just what has happened to prices? Uh, well, thank you. So this time last year, in the middle of COVID, it was um, it was pretty dire. Uh, that's not unique to lithium; it's across the space. But one of the things that the European Union did to incentivise their economy was, as you said, through money at renewable energy and also this whole transition to electric vehicles, subsidies for cars, charging stations, um, uh, subsidies to get battery plants built in Europe, and so that was a real kickoff. Um, and but. Even so, although we could see that macro story, nothing was actually flowing through to lithium companies. Then come November, December, we saw about a 10% increase. Everything changed in January, February. In the space of uh, four to six weeks, we saw lithium carbonate spot pricing pick up more than 100% in China. And so with that, all of the uh, lithium stocks as well. Now, we could see that demand coming. It naturally took this um, pricing uh, pickup to, uh, to really trigger that. And so coming to your question around pricing, so uh, lithium carbonate, depending on its quality, if it's very high quality, X works, it's trading anywhere from 12 to 13,500 US on, uh, on spot out of China for uh, premium lithium carbonate, 99.9%. Uh, and, and if it's, um, as a lot of your listeners probably know, um, uh, battery grade is sort of considered roughly rule of thumb about 99.5%. If it's lower than that, then it needs to get reprocessed somewhere. 
The thing that we've seen the last couple of months in, um, what are we now, uh, coming to the end of June, in May, June, we've now seen spodumene pricing pick up from uh, some of its lows below $300 a tonne to around $800 now. And so with that, lithium hydroxide pricing is now starting to catch up and be aligned with uh, lithium carbonate. So that's the sort of the macro view. Now, why is that happening? It's not just Europe. We've also seen President Biden appear. And the um, the key moment was in May where he's sitting in a Ford F-150 Lightning. Now, you, your listeners really need to understand that F-150, this is one of the icons of the US. This is the classic gas guzzler like the Mustang. Um, one in every 10 vehicles that sold there for the last two and a half decades has been an F-150. So to see that go electric and be priced even lower than its gas guzzling friend, I think we're going to see a lot of activity in this space. All right. Uh, into that uh, outlook and, well, the, the current uh, demand factors uh, coming along very nicely there. Carchi in Argentina, MPV of uh, US 1.6, production uh, initial production of 25,500 tonnes per annum, annual EBITDA of uh, US 260 million from 2024. What are the steps you're taking to make that all become a reality? Right. So uh, we've completed a pre-feasibility study and those numbers you quoted, that were the outcomes of the pre-feasibility study completed uh, last year, 2020, and updated with recent pricing. We're in a definitive feasibility study at the moment that's aimed for completion uh, Q1 next year, and we're doing an environmental social impact assessment. That's the bread and butter items. You've got to do that stuff just so that you can demonstrate a project that's both financially robust and how you're going to deliver it. Uh, At the same time, we're bringing along a group of uh, debt financiers. We're actually speaking to export credit agencies and they assist and work with a a banking panel. Those export credit agencies are being sourced out of Europe, UK, US, South Korea, for uh, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they're good at the moment in preliminary discussions for about 70% of the 540 million capex we need. Um, So that's all trending um, very nicely. And then as we come through the other end of that, uh, there'll be more news about who we're working with on offtake partners, which is actually quite exciting. Right. Now, I mentioned this uh, disruptive technology, um, a uh, iron exchange water treatment process that makes uh, Kachi uh, very different. Um, makes it a green project compared with, say, hard rock producers and WA. And I'm just wondering how important is that in terms of support for the project from financiers and end users? Well, thank you very much for asking that question because I must say in the last six months, everything has changed in this space. Mm -hmm. We started on this uh, road back in 2018. We could see we had a large project in Kachi, but... The problem was the end users, the people who make the cathodes and the batteries, they were saying to us, we've got to have a consistent high quality product. And the problem was you couldn't do that using traditional technologies. There had to be another way, a better way of doing it. We hunted around the world. We looked at about 13 different technologies. We've partnered up with a group called Lilac out of California, and they use, as you say, this iron exchange water technology. Now, it's not new. Uh, iron exchange has been used for more than 70 years. Matter of fact, in your sink, if you've got one of those little taps like I have in the kitchen um, to, to get your water out underneath in those cylinders underneath the sink, that's either iron exchange or a carbon filter. So it's pretty widely used, just hadn't been adapted for lithium. 
Why did we go down that path? The beauty of it is that as you pump the brine, that's the salty water that sits underneath the salt lake, and in it is about 1% of that is the dissolved lithium. As you pump it up to the top, we put in these tanks, those iron exchange beads bond onto the lithium, just take the lithium out of the water in a space of two hours, then you can put it back where it comes from. You're not changing the chemistry, you're just taking the lithium out so you produce a high quality product. And in doing so, you've actually made this really small footprint, a small physical footprint. We're talking, you know, one or two city blocks instead of 15 or 20 square kilometers of evaporation ponds. You're using less water. It's still a low carbon footprint. And that, that is the focus of the electric vehicle makers. They're now coming to a little company like Lake saying, we want to see a product like that in our supply chain because it's got a much smaller environmental uh, outcome. And you've got to understand, they're looking at an electric vehicle. It doesn't matter whether it's in the batteries or it's the panels or the doors. They need everything to be low carbon to, due to the legislation that's changed, particularly in Europe. And we'll probably see more of that in the US in the future. Um, so it's quite exciting that something that we started on, and everybody thought, to be blunt, that we were just idiots. Why don't you just use traditional technologies? And now that's actually the very space that uh, the focus is in. Mm. Now, take, I take the point that it's uh, it's not a new technology being used for ages in water treatment and minerals processing, but what steps have you taken to uh, confirm in the minds of well, both yourself and uh, end users that, uh, hey, this works with lithium? Uh, well, so first of all, you've got to do benchtop testing. Uh, so it doesn't matter what technology you use. You've got to do that. Um, we did about 15 months of that on our catchy brines. And those results came out, I think it was the first couple of weeks of January 2020. Um, and they were they were pretty good. Uh, we set up a pilot plant with our partner in California. And we sent brines from our catchy project in Argentina to California. And they've been running that pilot plant for more than 12 months. And the results out of that pilot plant were even better than what we saw at um, at benchtop scale. Now, in my experience, more than 30 years in uh, minerals processing, mining, resources, energy, that's pretty rare to see that sort of, um, to see things going better at a pilot uh, plant stage. But then the problem is that pilot plant just produces a liquid. It's called lithium chloride. So it's the same thing as if we were using evaporation. That's essentially what you put in to the back end of the plant. So we sent them to a third party to make certain that it was, in fact, good quality. They produced lithium carbonate out of that. That was in uh, October uh, 2020. And we came up with 99.97% purity. That basically means there's no impurities in it. Now, the response to that initially was crickets. You know, that can't possibly be right. Uh, then we went and took that product and put it into a standard battery, uh, what we call a 622 battery, thanks to a, a terrific company called Novonics. And uh, they demonstrated that it works just as well uh, in a battery as other tier one products, if not better. Um, so the, the beauty from now is that the modules at production they're a little bit bigger than what we're using a pilot scale, yeah, maybe 30% bigger. The difference is you just have more of them. And mm. so people say, yeah, Steve, but look, you're only running a couple of these modules. Okay, look, I understand. But the thing is, we'll have 50 of them at production scale, but each one of them is still doing exactly the same darn thing. So uh, we're actually very confident 
that this technology works well. We just want to make certain that everything else fits in. Uh, we're going to have a demonstration plan on site towards the end of this calendar year. And, uh, and um, it's, uh, look, to be honest, it's probably the way of the future. We're not saying this is the only method, but this direct lithium extraction, I think, is going to be the way of the future for lithium brines, which is nearly half of the production yeah, of lithium. Right. Mm. Well, ESG credentials of projects are all important nowadays, that's for sure. But I was just wondering, if you're doing away with evaporation ponds, um, the, the time, we know from evaporation ponds, it can take up two years for the end product to be produced. What's the uh, time scale when you're using this process? Yeah, we're talking hours. Mm -hmm. So in about two and a half, maximum three hours, we produce the lithium chloride that goes into the plant instead of waiting 9, 18, 24 months. Mm -hmm. And then it's the standard processing a lithium carbonate plant, which is about a week, a week and a half or so. So from when you pump it out to when it's coming at the back end, you're looking at about a week and a half to get a product. And it means that you can control the quality as well. Um, it's... Um, Look, it's, it's quite an elegant process. I have to say, though, it's very boring because mm. all you do is you pump it into these tanks, you strip the lithium out, you do it again, you just keep reusing these beads over and over and over again. So there's not a whole lot to see on site. Uh, we've just kept the front end so it just replaces the evaporation ponds, keep everything else the same so you're not introducing too many new things. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, it, it seems to work well, certainly, for that environment. And that, uh, I guess that all goes to scalability. And I see that uh, you've actually got a separate study into potentially doubling production. Yes, it's, and it's funny you, you mention that because, honestly, this time last year, people were saying, look, 25,000 tonnes per annum, that's about 8% of the market. Why don't you do it in two steps, try to do half, and then the second half, do the second half later? Since December, January, um, the downstream potential participants have just said, okay, 25,000 tonnes per annum, that sounds pretty good. Uh, what would it take to double that? Uh, how long would it take? Um, there's, a, there's now a race because just in the last few months, suddenly you're seeing large companies like Geng Feng, they're the number one or number two producer of lithium globally. They've been out buying projects and suddenly there's this realisation, just as you mentioned in your introduction, it was only... 18 months ago, people were talking about oversupply. Now they're going, actually, there's only a handful of new projects that aren't held by the majors mm -hmm. that are going to be coming online and very few of those that can tick both the quality and the ESG box. So um, uh, at, at this stage, looks like it's well positioned. Okay. Now, I think I know the answer to this one. Um, the company's had a spectacular share price rise this year. But when I look at some of your peers and some of the broker valuations on the stock, it it could be argued that uh, the share price is uh, underdone. What's, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, unfortunately, um, we, uh, we kept... Uh, let me take a step back. So when we look at where the share price was, during those two down years, uh, 2019, 2020, we kept raising capital. And that was because we knew that there would be our day in the sun at a certain stage. We wanted to at least have a pre-feasibility study finished, if not a definitive feasibility study, so we could get underway. But the problem with that is the market. The investors know that you always come issue. You can, When you've only got a certain number of shares out and they're only worth a few cents a share, you can only raise a certain amount. Mm. Uh, in January, 
we went and raised 20 million over the Australia Day long weekend with the US broker. And uh, through that, we got a couple of funds on board, but suddenly we had 20 million in the tin. We were funded through to our key investment decision, which is the middle of next calendar year. And the market just sort of went, oh, phew, thank goodness. And so we actually got a, a, a like a, it was like the share price had been artificially suppressed. Mm. Now it's had a rebound. But that's very interesting that one of those uh, researchers that you mentioned, research analysts, he did a um, he did a piece on us May last year. We were trading around three cents and said, "Look, this is a twenty nine cent stock." Uh, now he's come out and said, "You know, now I'm looking at all the fundamentals. This is probably, you know, a buck eighty stock. Whether it gets to that or whether it only gets halfway there, you know, we're only trading ten or fifteen percent of NPV, and now most of our peers are getting up towards fifty percent NPVs. I I do think. Look, I'm a CEO. I meant to say that there's lots of upside." But even if you look at the fundamentals, uh, it's pretty easy to see there's plenty more in this. Uh, does the uh, company post broker of reports or research reports on its website? Yes. Yeah, so we've got a, a tab on the left-hand side that says invest as you click there. That's got research. So we have uh, broker research from the gentleman I just mentioned from Arayo Capital out of Hong Kong. Uh, we've got research there from Lodge Partners, from Roth Capital out of the US, uh, from a group out of Sydney called Corporate Connect. Uh, all of them have got um, uh, price targets over the next 12 months, um, many times where we're currently trading. Okay. Now, I don't think this is a factor in the share price, but I'm just wondering there's been a bit of noise <clears throat> out of uh, South America, particularly around copper and increased royalties, et cetera. Um, any, what, what's the situation in Argentina vis-a-vis uh, -vis lithium? Uh, so what I would say about Argentina is that they have been consistently supportive of the lithium sector, whether the market was up or down, uh, regardless of the federal government. See, they have a, a system a bit like the US. What happens in Texas isn't the same as what happens in California. There they've got uh, 23 provinces. They all have their own regulatory framework. And uh, and the three up in the, the northwest corner have been very consistently supportive of the lithium sector. Mm. Uh, furthermore, um, uh, Chile, although has been traditionally a great place to operate, it's having a few uh, speed bumps at the moment. And so uh, I suspect if they can get one over the Chileans, it'd be pretty keen. At the end of the day, uh, Argentina needs to service its foreign debt. It needs US dollar denominated exports to do so. And um, regardless of who's been in charge at the federal government level, they've also been quite supportive. Would things change? Look, it's all possible, but uh, for my sins, I was working in Argentina back in 93, 94 and provided some guidance on the royalty regime at that stage, and I note that it hasn't changed in all of that time. Yeah. So, um, there we go. Mm. Okay. So now, you have uh, some other projects um, in uh, Argentina. Uh, I'm just wondering whether they're getting swept up in this uh, this this building uh, enthusiasm for new projects to come forward. Well, it's interesting because we uh, we drilled uh, one of our projects called Kalchari, and uh, the Kalchari project sits right alongside the next big producer in the sector. Uh, Gengfeng Lithium has a 5149 joint venture with the TSX-listed stock called uh, Lithium Americas. Um, their project, which is using traditional evaporation technology, comes on stream middle of next year at about 40,000 tonnes per annum, and they've announced an expansion to 60,000 tonnes. So that's going to be the biggest mm. single project coming to the sector uh, for some time. We have a project literally right alongside that. We drilled it in 2019, 
And we'd like to do some more work. And it was interesting earlier this year, people said, well, hang on, you've got four projects. What's going on with that one? So we're testing some of the brines out there using uh, direct lithium extraction to, um, to see how that works. And then we've got two others nearby and we anticipate being able to drill those a little bit later this year. It was good. We had some options converted recently. So we've got a, a couple of extra million in the tin to go and do some work uh, on those projects over the next 12 months. All right. Okay. All righty then. Uh, giving us a good feel for everything there, but uh, let's wrap it up by giving uh, investors a sense of what they should be looking out for in uh, as uh, the rest of 21 unfolds. Certainly. So as I mentioned before, we've got to do our bread and butter stuff. Uh, so we'll be completing a definitive feasibility study and associated studies um, towards the end of the first quarter next calendar year. Prior to that, uh, you could reasonably expect us to announce at least one of our offtake agreements. Uh, we were pushing pretty hard on that recently, but suddenly there's a whole bunch of new participants there. And uh, uh, that's actually pretty exciting because you're actually having conversations with the electric vehicle maker who wants to see that product because of its ESG benefits mm -hmm. together with the cathode or battery maker who wants to see it because of its quality and scalability. So we'll have more to talk about that. Uh, furthermore, you'll probably hear more about the debt financing. We've had initial indications of about 70% debt being provided by the um, debt financiers. This is quite long-term debt. It's lower cost. It's over sort of seven to 10 years. And we hope to be able to say something more uh, detailed about that a little bit later this calendar year. Um, we'll have our demonstration plant on site. And although uh, f for us as a company, we're fairly certain it's going to produce the same results, there's nothing like for an equity or a debt investor to be able to actually go to site, see and touch the process right there on site. So that'll be a, a good step forward. And, uh, and hopefully we'll have something more to say about our other projects as well. So look, it's a, a pretty exciting space. Um, I guess last of all, our uh, technology partner, Lilac, we have a partnership with them, but you could also reasonably expect some very detailed uh, information about how that partnership works long-term as part of this whole debt financing. So look, it's a very exciting 12, 15 months coming up. Uh, I keep saying to the people on site, You've got a plan for the fact that we're going to be going into construction. I realise I've only got 20 people and another 20 or 30 contractors, but we're going to have a 1,000 of those in 15 months' mm -hmm. time. So let's really get everything lined up and how we're going to deliver this project. Okay. Uh, exciting stuff. Um, the offtake will be uh, of real interest to the market, that's for sure, and obviously financing. Finally, a question I ask all uh, lithium uh, companies, do you drive an EV yourself? I really would like to, but unfortunately, I live in Australia, and we've got we've got some Teslas, and there's a couple of others. Uh, I uh, I live in the country, and I want something to be able to tow the horse trailer with the horses in it for my daughter. Uh, that's why I was so excited with the F one fifty. It can do it. The Rivian as well. When they start producing that, it can pull that as well. And uh, there'd be nothing better than uh, than having an EV pulling around a couple of horses. Um, I'm itching for that to happen. Look, if it doesn't, I'll just have to buy a, uh, a smaller EV as a runaround. That's right. Apparently those, uh, those Fords you're talking about, are roughly $40,000, but with subsidies planned, you, they'll probably knock $12,000 off the top. So, Yes, depending on where you, where you buy them. And, and that the thing is, uh, a Rivian at the moment, 
okay, they, they're not producing it, but they expect to be the, by the end of the year. They're going to be priced around 80000 US mm. in the US uh, and some of the other uh, larger EVs that can pull four-wheel drives. The pricing of that F-150 is so low, it's actually below the internal combustion engine equivalent. It mm. can tow the same. We're talking about four and a half metric tonnes on the hook. Um, it can go, uh, depending on how you fit, fit it up, between uh, 350 and 500 miles, uh, depending on the battery pack you've got. Um, it's um, oh, Somebody said to me the other day, oh, but it just looks exactly the same as the F-150. I said, yeah, isn't that great? Just imagine that in the heart of sort of redneck the US, you've got your gun rack, but this thing can get off the mark faster because it's an EV. Uh, it's, um, that is really going to change things. Yeah, yeah, I think the moment's arrived um, mm. once you get a price point like that. Okay then, Stephen. Well, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, best of luck with it all. Fascinating story and we'll be watching with interest. Cheers. Barry, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Cheers for now.